Hello there, and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. I am your insider and former unwilling cultist, Jared Garrett. I'm here to whine at you about my childhood. Well, not true. I'm actually here to tell you stories, not vent. That's all done with by now. As most of you lovely listeners know by now, I was born and raised in a cult. A real live commune and cult. Crazy, right? Well, keep listening because I've got a few updates to this intro because I got some new information that helped me understand some timelines. Now, this cult started out in the 60s as an offshoot of Scientology, and it was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. It was one of the more infamous cults in the UK and the USA for a little while there. When I was born, though, the cult broke apart into those dedicated to the process, so to speak, and those who made a new culty commune called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium, which evolved over the years. Uh, at one point, it was called the Foundation Faith of God, and that was what I knew my whole life. I always called it the Foundation Faith of God and had no idea it had had different names growing up. But finally, the cult morphed into Best Friends Animal Society, which is not a cult. It's a cool animal rescue organization, and I love what they do. I would like to have my kids volunteer there sometime. I think it'd be grand. Nothing of what I built over the years is still there, as far as I know, because, I mean, we did a, an initial job to contain cats and dogs. Now they're doing amazing things. In any case, I am here to tell you all about being a kid in this somewhat strange, secretive religious commune. Now, as always, your questions will be answered, so don't hesitate to ask. You cannot, as always, contact me at jared at jaredgarrett.com. Now, Jared is spelled J-A-R-E-D. Garrett is spelled G-A-R-R-E-T-T, just to keep that clear. You can send me questions, comments, requests for hair follicles. I'm not going to fulfill those requests. Nope, nope, nobody, nope. I also can do speaking engagements as long as uh, you pay me, although I come kind of cheap, you know what I'm saying? And you can reach me at that same email address to uh, set up something like that. Uh, I've, uh, I can talk to your Kiwanis, your Rotary, your schools, your corporations, your organizations. I talk about positive stuff like you saw in the last three episodes. Now, the last three episodes were a series called I Had a Big Problem Parts 1, 2, and you guessed it, 3. This one is not called that. This is episode 17. It is called a corner, comma, 5,000 lines, comma, and all points in between, which is a precious way for me to say this one's about punishments. Punishments, you ask? Jared, is this just going to be a downer? No, guys, it's not going to be a downer. It's going to be probably really funny to you because as I look back at the punishments I received, some of them were bad. Okay, I mean, some of them were really dumb. Some of them were cruel. Some of them were bad. Some of them were vindictive. But all in all, they were uh, essentially the manifestations of impotence on the adult's part. When you don't have the hearts and the dedication and love of the kid you're trying to teach, any punishment just becomes painful. Not teaching, not instructive. It just becomes strategic, right? I mean, hey, I didn't like that one, so I'm going to do something to avoid that. Probably not get caught next time. Or in my case, and in many of the other kids' case, as far as I know, just do our best to avoid the adults. Because the adults treated us basically like the enemy. That's not a very nice way to live, but that's how many of us lived. The adults were the enemy. Not all of them, but most of them, honestly. I mean, <laughs> they were capricious, and boy, how do you could... You could be in trouble before you you knew it. I mean, you could have just not have socks rolled up proper, pulled up properly, and get in trouble for having shaggy, saggy socks. 
I actually kid you not. Okay, so let's talk about some of the punishments that we used to have to do. Uh, and we'll do this with uh, stories of um, the bad behavior that led to it when I know that bad behavior, but most of the time this will just be the punishments. We'll start with corner standing. Now, tell me, tell me guys, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have you, you message me with the punishments that you knew growing up. And if some of you maybe happened to grow up in like a religious type of setting, I'd love to know if you had some like punishments that were specific to that religious setting, maybe associated with it. You know, I've heard of that in some some religious groups, there, there's like kneeling on pencils and self-flagellation and stuff. That's not a dirty term, friends. Come on. But, I mean, is that true? Is that real? Because I actually knelt on pencils once. No, I kid you not. I was made to kneel on pencils once. I think I had shorts on. You know, those old, uh, like, mid-80s, very light cloth shorts that came up a little bit high. Not short shorts like you have today. But those old shorts, like the basketball players used to have. Yeah, I had some of those on. Had to kneel on some pencils. Luckily, I wasn't all that heavy. And it didn't hurt as much as it could have. Like, if I were to kneel on pencils today, it would probably cripple me. I have arthritis in my knees. And I'm big. It's hard to get up sometimes. But yeah, I knelt on pencils once. Uh, other things that I did with, as a little kid. Uh, a lot of standing in the corner. Now, um, I've made... I've had my kids stand in the corner a couple of times, but never for longer than just like a couple of minutes. Because anything longer just seems like vindictive or cruel, like I'm trying to hurt them or just just be mean. Um, it, it, well, I mean, what am I teaching? It's certainly not a natural consequence of behavior that isn't right. Um, I, aren't we supposed to be trying to teach kids to like change their behavior and encourage them without coercion, but through persuasion and long-suffering and love and kindness and understanding, encourage them to positively change their behavior. You know, cruel punishments just negatively reinforce things, right? So, but yeah, um, tell me if you if you ever had to stand in the corner growing up, because I did. It's a bit like going into quiet time, but not on a chair. Um, it was actually go stand in a corner with some bare corner of a, of a room and Get your nose as close to the wall as you possibly can. Uh, put your feet completely flat on the floor. Your hands complete, absolutely down right to your sides. To your sides, not folded in front of you, not twitching, not fidgeting, nothing like that. You couldn't while away the time, you know, uh, with your thumbs, spinning your thumbs, whatever it's called, twiddling your thumbs. No, you had to stand there completely still, essentially at attention for as long as you were told to stand in the corner. Now, let's stop and think. Now... Jared, how long did they make you stand in the corner? Well, that's a funny question that you should ask. I'm so glad you asked it. I'm going to answer your question. But I'm going to ask you to stop and think and guess. How long do you think? Five minutes? Maybe 10 minutes for a bad, bad thing? Maybe maybe 30 minutes. Ooh, maybe 30 minutes for probably getting in a big, bad brawl or something, or getting in a big, bad argument. Of course, you heard about the fight that I did with Manuel, and then I got in big trouble, got the crap beaten out of me. Um, yeah, I don't know why I talk like that sometimes. Anyway, you know, so may maybe standing in a corner for maybe 30 minutes would be a more appropriate punishment for getting into a fight. Yeah, sure, maybe. Uh, 30 minutes seems a little long to me today. I mean, Five minutes, honestly, seems a little long to me today. I'll usually tell the kids, and they're only small kids too, because we're trying to like stop 
violence or something, they need to stop and count and think and get their mind under control. Count to 100, then you can come out and let's talk. No, I, 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 <laughs> I once had to stand in a corner um, for an entire day. And that is the longest I ever stood in a corner was an entire day. Now, let me just say it wasn't an entire day day, like a 24-hour period. It was actually a school day um, in which I had to stand in the corner. And I think it was more than actually, I think it was maybe two school days in which I had to stand in the corner. And why? And that's because that's because I, I hadn't actually finished the previous punishment because the previous punishment was beyond all description stupid. But since I couldn't get away with what I'd done... I had to, and I wasn't finishing the previous punishment because it was unbelievable. I was made to stand in a corner for two days. Let me be specific. Now, I talked about me punching Tim uh, in the uh, sh kind of shoulder area or arm area when he had a, a, a broken collarbone. I felt really bad, right? That was a bit of a turning point for me, uh, me realizing that my temper was getting the better of me and I had to get myself under control. You recall that from the last couple of episodes, right? Well, we were punished. Some knucklehead. Now, why would why would anybody turn us in? Why would anybody report this fight? I mean, I, we got in a fight. I did a stupid thing. He got really mad at me, but he held back because he was a smart, controlled dude. And that was the end of it. And we made up, and there by the end, and that was all. But after we'd made up, after everything was at peace and fine between us, we were called to attention. We were brought over in front of Lucia, who lived across town in the houses that we called Swiss, because they were on Swiss Avenue, if you recall. And she gave us a punishment for fighting. Now, honest, the, the truth is, I should have been the only one who got the punishment, because I was the one who had, you know, opened hostilities, you could say. But no, we both got the punishment. And we'd had punishments before, okay? One of the most standard punishments we got for violence was lines. Write a hundred lines, and the line was like, I don't know, 12, 15 words long. I will not fight because it is not a godly way to treat my fellow man. Stuff like that. Or violence will not solve any problems and I will turn myself to God by never fighting again. So, lines like that, you know, very similar stuff like to that. Uh, so 100 lines, 500 lines, 1,000 lines. And boy, the nuclear option was 1,000 lines in our, in our opinion. Doing anything more than 1,000 lines was insane. And 1,000 lines took forever. I mean, if you think about it, it might take you 25, 35, 45 seconds to write a whole line if you want to write it tidily. Uh, do the math. I'm not doing it here, but I mean, you could just say it took, it could take you 500 minutes to write a thousand lines. And that's really conservative, not generous. It's a very conservative estimate. And 500 minutes is, as you know, more than eight hours for one punishment for a thousand lines. That's insanity, my friends, insanity. But you know what punishment Lucia gave us that day for getting into a fight, which I started and kind of ended? 5,000 lines. 5,000 lines. And the lines were two uh, lined, line, like the, the, the college ruled or thin ruled papers, two of those lines long. Like it took up two whole lines. You couldn't do it in one row. Two rows. Mm -hmm. It was a long freaking sentence we had to write. And she said, you will now write 5,000 lines. You don't get to go to school. You're essentially grounded. I mean, our life was basically grounded unless we were being not watched over at all. And then we just went and did whatever we wanted. It was a funny, weird dichotomy there. You're grounded from school. You don't go to school. You don't go to any activities until these lines are done. You are um, confined to Dixie 
the main room there in Dixie, which happened to be my bedroom, as well as kind of a rec room, you could say, you will write your lines until you're done. All 5,000 of them. Now, that's completely nuts. But we wrote the line down, we got our paper, we got our pencils or pens and whatever, and we got to work. So the first day was Monday, and we started on our lines. And we worked fairly steadily, but about halfway through the day, not even, maybe not even halfway, Tim and I got, we needed to take a break. So we actually started playing a game together. You know, we threw, threw pencils at each other, uh, tossed uh, paper balls at each other, had a good time. Because get, again, guess what? We had already made the peace. We had already moved past the stupid thing that I had done because he was such a good man, such a good young man. And I was never appreciative of how great he was. But, you know, it wasn't even a buried hatchet. It was, we had made peace. There was peace in our hearts toward each other. Uh, and he's one of my favorite people growing up. So, uh, but then we got back to work. And by the end of the first day, I think he was at over a thousand lines. And I might've been over five or 600 at the most, at the most. And we had our efficiencies. Surely you might've had efficiencies if you also did lines. Now tell me, is writing lines from a certain kind of religious tradition as well? I feel like it might be sort of Catholic. Maybe, I mean, you see it in The Simpsons, right? Or maybe it's just from some like school thing. You see it in The Simpsons, right? In the opening sequences, don't you? I don't watch The Simpsons anymore. But I'd watch The Simpsons from back in the day, right? And Bart would be standing at the blackboard and he'd be saying, I will not dot, dot, dot over and over again on the blackboard, right? So that's writing lines. Um, so yeah, reach out, tell me which tradition it's from. Uh, tweet, tweet at me, uh, email me, uh, find me on Facebook, whatever, you know. Um, let me know, let me know. I'd be interested to know. By the end of the day, again, Tim had gotten over a thousand. I'd gotten to about 500 and that was terrible. <laughs> Good times. Uh, we, they were dis there was displeasure at my lack of progress. Second day got worse. My friends got worse. Tim still completed over a thousand lines because man, the guy could be just so efficient and he could have, man, hyper-focused that guy. Me, a little bit of problem with focus sometimes. Um, if I did another 500 lines that day, it would be generous. I might've broken 1200 that day, but I really am pretty sure I did not. By the end of the week, we had played around, goofed off, had a lot of fun together, um, had meals, and he had finished his 5,000 lines. And you know what? I hadn't even broken 3,000, not even 3,000. And that was with a really, you know, I, I focused real well on Friday because I was going to get in trouble. We were supposed to get them done that week, but because I did not get them done that week, uh, and Lucia didn't want me being grounded anymore, especially on my own, confined to Dixie. Ooh, who knew the trouble Jerry could get into by himself? Uh, I was uh, relieved of my line punishment and sent to school, but not to like sit down and take notes and do the work, but to stand in the corner. That happened for at least the next Monday, and I believe Monday and Tuesday. Me standing in the corner listening to the class happening around me. That's right, in my classroom with my peers, public shaming as much as possible. Can you believe that? That's pretty ridiculous. I mean, I don't remember calves in pain. I'm sure they burned after a while. And I don't remember like being yelled at to put your nose against the wall, but I'm sure that happened more than once. But goodness gracious, I remember the stiffness in my spine. I will never forget the stiffness in my spine after that uh, corner standing. What a stupid thing. And what do I remember? Yep, I remember the punishment well enough to put it in a podcast episode. But I had already learned my lesson that I needed to be better about the way I treated people and to not have my temper control me. 
And I learned that lesson, thanks for listening to that ad, by the way, by being, you know, a person who genuinely wanted to be a better person, not by standing in a corner for two days and writing 3,000 lines for the previous week. Anyway, water under the bridge, dot, 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 dot. You think that a 5,000 lines is the beyond nuclear option? It is, it is sort of, but uh, bigger nukes fell. Sorry, ter- that was terrible. More nukes fell for one poor, unfortunate soul to, quote, uh, mistreated and certainly misunderstood uh, which of the uh, sea named Ursula. I mean, think about Ursula, right? I mean, perfectly legal contract, although Ariel may have been a minor. Anyway, let's get off the subject of under the sea and let's get back to the subject of this poor, unfortunate soul. Now, this was a, a young lady who I got along well with. I'm not sure what it is about me, uh, but I seem to get along with people who have trouble getting along with others. Um, I'm not sure if it's just because I, I hate to see people mistreated, overlooked, um, treated like they're less than, treated like they're other, but I just tend to get along with folks uh, who are who are not necessarily easily melded into society or melded into the normal, as you could call it. Um, and maybe that's be- maybe it's because I'm not one of those people. Maybe I don't really fit in very well. I certainly don't always feel like I do. But in, in any case, this young woman and I were good friends. Um, I liked her. Uh, she liked me. I felt sometimes like she was a bit of a hanger on. But, you know, that's a that's a, an uncharitable thought. Uh, and, and in my better times, I was very happy to be a, a part of her life and to be a friend for her because she was mistreated royally by Lucia. Lucia just took a like a disliking to this young lady. She insulted her. She insulted her to her face and in front of everybody. What a terrible thing. She treated her so poorly. But this poor girl couldn't catch a break. And this poor girl, she would she would let her buttons get pushed and would respond. And she needed to gain some self-control. Let's get that, you know, squared away. But she didn't. And so she really pissed Lucia off one time. And we didn't know about it until this poor girl showed up at Dixie. Now, Dixie was the boy's house by now. Only the boys lived there with our caretaker, Jonathan. But this girl was dropped off one day. And I think we didn't even see her dropped off. I think we got home from school and found her there. Not in a bedroom. Not in the living room. Not in the rec room. On the landing of the stairs. Now, Dixie was a big old house, okay? You could walk through the front door. So you walk up to the front door by going up some stairs, crossing a porch about eight feet wide, going into the front door where you're right into the living room. You cross the living room. And you get to a door that leads to a kind of a bottom landing of the main floor of the house. And that bottom landing, you could keep going. You could pass a bedroom on your right, get to another bedroom on your far right. At the very end on your right, you would pass a bathroom somewhere in the middle. But right right after you went out through that door in the living room, there were big stairs that went uh, wound up uh, through two or three flights, two and a half flights or so, to the top floor of Dixie or to the middle floor of Dixie. There was an attic as well that was habitable. That that top floor... The stairs went to a pretty big landing, actually a very wide landing with a balustrade at the one end or at the one side so you wouldn't fall off it. It was a wooden landing, uh, but that landing led to all the other rooms, like the rec room, which led, which you'd go through to get to the dining room and get to the kitchen, a couple of bathrooms, another bedroom. Um, this poor unfortunate soul was on that landing with several blankets, a couple pillows, and a box, 
and then several notebooks and several writing utensils. And she had been assigned to stay there, out of Lucia's sight, until she got her lines written. What a terrible thing to do, right? Now I'm going to stop passing judgment, even though I have it in my heart. Grr, Lucia, I shake my fist at you. But poor unfortunate soul, not naming her because that's not nice, was assigned to 10,000 lines. And she read it to me the first night as I was crossing through to go to my room, which was the rec room. And I was just stunned. It was at least a three rower, right? Like would cover three rows on the paper. So not only is it 10, unbelievable, ridiculous, absurd, stupid thousand lines, but it was long. Poor unfortunate soul was on that landing for at least a week. And I believe it may have been two weeks. She was basically having an extended sleepover and the only place she was allowed to be was that landing or in the bathroom to use the bathroom, shower, and change her clothes. She ate her meals there. She couldn't even join us at lunch or at the table, which was unreal. We had to make sure she we brought her food out to her box. So yeah, pretty Harry Potter-esque, but also real. Uh, fairly Dickensian, as Catherine Patterson once said to me in a postcard she sent to me. That's right, Catherine Patterson, the woman who wrote Bridge to Terabithia. I once wrote her a letter, a nice letter, some years ago, telling her that Bridge to Terabithia had been a huge turning point for me. It had really elevated my emotions quite a lot and been a big, powerful escape for me, and I really appreciated her writing the story. She wrote me back, and in that letter I described my life and how powerful Bridge to Terabithia was for me, you know, as a consequence of the life that I was leaving, uh, leading. Pat Catherine Patterson wrote me back, and said, wow, that's a Dickensian life. You don't hear about that very much anymore. In any case, for this poor unfortunate soul, Dickensian is the correct adjective. Unreal. Okay, but we farped on that. 10,000 lines. Blow your mind. Insane. What the crap? And so that was not necessarily the cult doing it. It was the leader of the Dallas branch of the cult who was off her rocker. I mean, maybe clinically, but she was making choices that she's accountable for that were cruel and bad. Okay, so that's lines, and we talked about the corner. Let's talk about some all points in between, shall we? I think that that is an appropriate activity at this time. So here we go. Uh, and again, remember the title is called uh, uh, Lines. Let's see here. Let me make sure I get it right. I got it this right. A corner, 5,000 lines, and all points in between. So what other punishments were there, Jared? Well, let's get over the physical ones. There was spanking. Um, I was spanked up until I, I was at least 13 or 14. I don't think... I don't think even 14, but I think up to 13, I was definitely spanked. Uh, the spankings never involved a person's hand in my recollection. Now, when I was a little, little child, it probably would have been a hand because that, that anything else seems unbelievably hard to imagine. But usually it was the back of a brush uh, or a wooden spoon. And in one case, for a little while, it was an actual paddle like you would see in the boarding, the, the movies about boarding schools in like New England or like England you know, those paddles, those wooden paddles with the holes in them so that the wind resistance wouldn't slow them down. Yeah, one of those. Smacked a couple of times to that. Boy, that hurts like the frickin' dickens, man. But wooden spoons are almost as bad. A more concentrated smack, um, and it erupts in great red gouts of fire across your butt and up through your body, and you want to cry, and you can't not cry because it hurts so much. Um, so spankings were a thing. Um, obviously, I was beaten up. Not so much a punishment as an expression of Cyrus's temper. Um, and then there were some other punishments. Now, okay. One punishment was fairly productive. We were made to clean. 
Now, that's okay. Honestly, I think that that's a fairly productive punishment. It's not really a punishment. It should just be, hey, everybody should clean. And honestly, we already did. We had a rotation at Dixie of the jobs that needed to be done, and we would rotate between them. We had a rotation of who got to choose what was on the TV every night, honestly. And whenever it was my night, lucky me, I got to choose MacGyver. Woo, MacGyver was awesome. Never used a gun, used his brain, used a Swiss Army knife and duct tape. Oh, yeah. So... I mean, we already cleaned plenty. We knew how to work. We'd been shipped out to uh, Best Friend several times by then, uh, or over the years at least. And we'd always been doing work, right? We always had to keep the house clean. Lots of sweeping, vacuuming, mopping, window cleaning, toilet cleaning. I can clean a toilet in less than two minutes uh, using just a several towel method and a bit of cleanser. Uh, and of course, a toilet scrubber. I don't put my hand in the toilet. That's disgusting. I can't believe you were thinking that. Anyway. So uh, cleaning was a punishment that we often got. Uh, one punishment, we actually were made to march around inside of a house, and maybe even outside the house, although they may have avoided that because that's too visible to the neighbors. Uh, march around uh, inside of a house, an actual lockstep. Really, that's a bizarre one. I did that, I think, at the age of 10. Um, and then there were things like when Lucia lost her temper. Or when another adult lost their temper. But Lucia was, this was like an art form. It was like for a Christmas story um, with the dad swearing, wove a tapestry of profanity so thick that it still hangs over like Michigan to this day. Well, Lucia could weave a tapestry of emotional abuse above us that was so thick that you thought that it might never, ever go away. It was a dark cloud that hung over you. But then you got good at it. You got good at listening to it, and but not really listening to it. Like you could absolutely look tuned in and engaged in what she was saying to us and kind of absorbing the lesson that she was trying to get us or into us, but really just letting it slip out the other ear. Um, but boy, she would harangue. She would harangue. One time, one time, we were all called down into Swiss to be lined up in front of Lucian. Now we were made, we were asked, not made or asked, we were expected to line up in a very tidy line just in a row in front of her and she would be kind of in the middle and she'd just kind of swivel her head back and forth from each end to each end of the line, glaring at everybody as she spoke. Everybody got a good couple seconds glare and then she'd move on to the next person as she yelled. One person walked through the main living room area of Swiss one time and Lucia noticed that their hair seemed not entirely properly done. Possibly they hadn't washed it properly or uh, they hadn't brushed it or something like that, but she decided that it was a conditioner problem. And so she had all the kids gathered. Yeah, she would. She sent like a one kid, like Johanna or maybe another kid or maybe an adult to tell all the kids that Lucia needs to see us. Lucia wants to talk to us. And we, would, we all gathered. And then she harangued us, I kid you not, for f at least 10 minutes about proper care of our hair that we really needed to rinse out our hair properly if we were going to use conditioner. And here are the directions on the shampoo. And what? Very strange. Um, but yeah, that's one. Uh, saggy socks was an actual another one. Uh, and then bad attitudes, of course, are a bad one. Um, so yes, this punishment was emotional uh, abuse. Now, some might say that wasn't abuse. That was just being yelled at. Absolutely. It was just being yelled at. But the volume, the, 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 the quantity, the emotional weight behind it, the uh, seething hatred that infused each of her words and the fury that infused her words and the way she looked at us throughout and after. I'm sorry, guys, but when you're kids and that's what's happening, 
coming from the adult who is the biggest, most authoritative figure in your life, that's called abuse. It just is straight up clinically, my friends. So let it go. Now I'm not saying, oh, pity Jared. I'm not. That stuff's my sword and armor, baby. It's not dragging me down. I'm using it to get through this life. I, I know I know who I am. I know how to respond to difficult things. I know how to respond to abuse and emotional abuse. I know who I am in relation to it and how I deal with it and how I will not allow it in my life and the life of those around me. Um, and I know what it sounds like if it starts to come out of me. So thanks very much. I'm not whining, but it was abuse. That was a big punishment. That was the most common one was just getting yelled at by Lucia and then other adults as they kind of followed suit uh, in uh, being uh, tyrants over the children. And so those were punishments. Uh, a few others real quick, just to list them off. Uh, let's see here. Sometimes it was do a bunch of yard work. Uh, sometimes it was, um, let's see here. We did lines. We did da -da 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 -da. rearrange the things. Sometimes it was grounded. Sometimes it was, uh, you've displeased Lucia. So there will be no music in the house for until you're told you can, then you're never told you can. And you still just start after a week or two listening back to music. Uh, your allowance is cut off. Guys, our allowance was cut off more often than it was on. Mainly that was because people forgot. But every so often, Lucia would get benign or become our benign leader. Um, and we would get an allowance. And I remember when our allowance went up to like $2.50 or something. Dude, that we got rich, man. And that was for... That was consistent for several months. We got $2.50 a week. So boy, I tell you how much, I got a lot of sarsaparilla root beer and frozen yogurt up there. You know what I'm saying? So punishments were a thing. None of them were particularly instructive. None of them were natural consequences that would you know, stem from poor behavior. And none of them actually taught us lessons other than reinforced that we needed to either not get caught or just stay out of sight. And that was punishments in the cult. And I should be specific too. That was punishments in the Dallas branch of the cult. Um, that Those were my formative years. I moved there when I was in fifth grade, about 10 years old, and stayed there until I finally got out of the cult. And so that was punishments. Of course, my final punishment in all of the cult was being banished to Arizona, uh, to their old ranch, uh, because I'd been mouthing off and having a bad attitude. But guess what, friends? I wanted to be. That was all part of the plan. So... Uh, We'll get to that another time. Next episode, we're going to talk about something called So Many Dead and Dying. Until then, come back, tell your friends, tell your enemies. Hey, remember, you can support this podcast by clicking on that link and giving me actual money, which I would appreciate. Otherwise, just keep doing what you're doing, friends. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, tell your, your families. This is fun stuff. We're having a good time. And that's all for today. I'll see you next time. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye.